Welcome to Working the Word with Jonathan Vorse. Join us now for service already in progress at Lakewood Church of God. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning in verse number 7. Here's what the Bible says. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There's one alone and there is not a second. Yea, he hath neither child nor brother. Yet is there no end of all his labor. Neither is his eye satisfied with riches. Neither saith he, for whom do I labor and bereave my soul of good. This is also vanity. Yea, it is a sore travail. Verse number 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Again, if two lie together, then they have heat. But how can one be warm alone? And if one prevail against him, two shall withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. I want to talk to you today about bows, arrows, and strings. And you'll understand later on in the message what that title is all about. I want you to look at your neighbor and say, God did not create us to do life alone. Verse number 7, verse number 8, the Bible talks, especially in verse number 8, the Bible talks about a person who does nothing but work all of the time and he doesn't make time for anyone else. How many of you have ever known a workaholic? How many of you have ever been a workaholic? <laughs> That's right. That's right. You know, my wife got my attention one day. She told me, she said, I feel like you have a girlfriend. I said, it's you. And she said, no, 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 no. She said, I think the ministry's your girlfriend. And that communicated to me that I was spending a lot of time doing ministry and not enough time with her. Well, the reason is because I'm passionate about what I do. I want to see people give their life to Jesus. I want to see people's hearts changed. You know, win the lost, train disciples, make Jesus famous here in Pasco County. I want to see all of that happen. And so sometimes I get really, really, really busy and forget to come home. <laughs> Till I get hungry. <laughs> then I go home. But this is what the Bible's talking about here in verse number 8. It's talking about a person who does nothing but work all of the time. And basically, basically what it's saying is it doesn't matter how much they work, they will never be satisfied. And they ask a great question, who will be their beneficiary? In other words, they're working and working and working and working, and who will be their beneficiary? Now, I've said this before, and I don't mean to be morbid this morning, but I want all of the men in this place to understand that you're about five generations away from being forgotten. Hello. Name for me your great-grandfather five generations back. Most of you can't do it. In fact, maybe all of you can't do it. Maybe you can, but most of you can't do it. Here's the point. We have to work on things that last. Here's what the Word of God says. The grass may wither and the flower may fade, but God's Word stands forever. The only way to make your life count for something is to spend it working on something that is bigger than you. 
And so what we do is many times we work to try to satisfy ourselves and, and we work to try to satisfy our wants and our desires and our needs and that's okay. That's all right to, to do that. But the overall scope of our life has to be attached to something that is going to last the test of time. And I submit to you today that the thing that will last the test of time is the Word of God. It has lasted for generation after generation after generation, millennial after millennial after millennial. We've got to put our focus where it counts, and our focus where it counts is the proclamation, the distribution, the dissemination of the Word of God trying to teach people how to work for God. Now, this man, the Bible says here, the Bible says here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 7 and 8, when it's talking about a person that's working all the time and they have no beneficiary, the Bible said that they're never going to be satisfied. You can work and work and work and work, and the more you get, the more you're going to want. Especially in America. Let me, let me share this little story with you here. Ellen Goodman told the tragic story of a man who worked as hard as the man that uh, the preacher here in Ecclesiastics, which uh, they call him the preacher, has described. When he died at the age of 51, because he had worked himself into the grave, his obituary said that the cause of his death was coronary thrombosis, but most people knew better. He was at the office six days a week, often until 8 or 9 o'clock at night. His friends and family said that he simply worked himself to death. Yet on the day of his funeral, when the company was already making inquiries about his replacement on the day of his funeral, the president looked around the office for candidates and said, Well, who's been working the hardest? The zinger line was delivered by the dead man's wife when a friend said, I know how much you will miss him. And she said, Oh, I already have. So many times we spend our life focusing on things that don't matter. So many times we spend our life focusing on things that are not going to last. Now, I want you to say this. I want you to say this to the person beside you. The most valuable thing that you have are the relationships around you. Tell them that. The most valuable thing that we have are the relationships that are around you. I want to read to you Luke chapter, Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse number uh, 13. Luke chapter 12 uh, and verse number 13. Here's what the Bible says. One of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Some of y'all need to write that down and put it on your refrigerator. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. Now put it on your refrigerator inside just when you open the door because you know that's where the man goes all the time. He'll open the door and it'll be right. Or you can put it on the dash of his pickup truck. He'll see it there too. But a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I'll pull down my barns, and I'll build greater. And there I will bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, 
Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. That just about says it all, doesn't it? The point that that I think the Lord is trying to help us understand here today is that we need each other. The most valuable things that you have in your life are the relationships that are around you. Focus on those relationships. Spend time with the people that matter. Spend time with your family. Spend time with your church family. Spend time with your Christian friends. Spend time with people that can build you up. People that can strengthen you. People that can encourage you. People that believe in you. People that believe in the call of God upon your life. People that believe that God wants to put His favor upon you. That God wants to give you a great destiny. That God wants to put, put His blessing upon your life. Those are the kind of people that we need to be spending our time with. So many times we focus all of our attention on the problem. And when you focus all of your attention on the problem and none of your attention on the solution, then all you're ever going to have is a problem. What if we focused our attention on, as much attention on the solution as we did the problem? So focus on the solution. Get past it. Get the problems behind you and continue to move forward. And you can't do that. We're better together. We can't do this by ourselves. Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse number 9, the next verse begins giving the answer. It says this, it says two are better than one. If God thought one was enough, He would have stopped with Adam. Thank God He didn't. And all the men said, Amen. Amen. Thank God God didn't stop with Adam. Now some of the women is like, He should have stopped. But thank God, thank God, God decided that two was better than one. In fact, He said it is not good that a man should be alone. God has designed us for relationships. Now let me say this about relationships. Relationships are hard work. But let me help you with this. Relationships, here's the mentality you need to have. God designed us for relationships and relationships are hard work, okay, So if God designed us for relationships, then relationships are God's work. Relationships are God's work. So when I start, when Donna and I have problems, and we do occasionally, my goodness, we've been married 27 years, you can't train a woman and, uh, you know, and not have problems. Now, we've had good times, and we've had bad times. We've had great times. We've had frustrating times. We, you know, there, there are times when we love each other, but we don't like each other. Hello? I said, there are times when we love each other, but, you know, she'll look at me sometimes. She'll say, I love you, but I don't like you very much right now. I'll say, likewise. <laughs> See, we're real people just like you are. 
You know, we have those situations sometimes. Relationships are hard work. But when I start seeing her as God's gift to me, and I start seeing her as God's work, when I start seeing the relationship that I need to work on with her, you know, between myself and her, when I start seeing that as God's work, then it helps me. It helps me realize that when I'm working on the relationship with my wife, then I'm doing God's work. When I'm working on on conflict resolution with a brother or a sister, then I'm doing God's work. When I'm working on the relationship between myself and maybe my children, because sometimes when they get older, and, and even younger, but especially when they get older, sometimes it can be a challenge, can't it? Can't it? And when I'm, when I'm working on that relationship, I see that as God's work. So two are better than one. Ecclesiastes 4 and verse number 9, the Bible said two are better than one. And so when I realized that relationships were God's idea, then I realized that relationships are work, and so I realized that relationships are God's work, then it helps me launch into whatever I need to do to try to help make that relationship work. When you turn around and you walk away from a God-given relationship, then you are turning around and walking away from God's best for you. Now, there are some relationships that you need to turn and walk from. Come on. And I think that pretty much goes without saying. I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say here. But the Bible does say that two are better than one. So, uh, and, and he goes on here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 9 through 12, and he talks about uh, why they're better than one. Number, verse number 9, the Bible said they have a good reward for their labor. They have a good reward for their labor. If I can work together, here's, here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says that one can put a thousand to flight and two can put ten thousand to flight. Well, if one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight, what can three do? What can four do? What can five do? What if we join forces together and do things together? You know, when we look at the budget of our church, when I look at it, sometimes I look at that and I'm like, and all of a sudden my shoulders go like this. And then I realize, well, wait a minute. You know, we're not carrying this thing alone. If I do my part and you do your part and everyone else do their part, everybody does what, and they'll think, well, my little bit doesn't matter. Well, you need to understand, yes, it does. When everybody does their part, then there's not a problem anymore. It's all taken care of. It's the same way with anything that you do, any particular area of your life. Two are better than one. The Bible said that, we, that two have a good reward for their labor. You can go out there and you can try to start a business all by yourself. As long as you're trying to do that business all by yourself, you are going to be limited on what you can accomplish. You know why? Because you're one person who only has so much time. That's it. But when you start to expand, that's why when we talk about evangelism and that's why when we talk about ministry around here, I teach the team duplicity brings multiplicity to the kingdom. When we duplicate ourselves, when we try to help other people grow, then they can go out and they can win lost people also. Look what Jesus did. Jesus took and invested himself in 12, really three, but invested him in, in 12 people, himself in 12 people. Those 12 people, the next generation of what they did after Jesus went to heaven, within six months, the result of the ministry of those 12 people was over 60,000 people that had given their life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because two are better than one. They have a good reward for their labor. 
So quit feeling like that you have to do things all by yourself. You weren't created to be the lone ranger. You need Tonto. Verse number 10. Here's why the Bible says that we're better together and we're stronger together. Here's why the Bible says that. Verse number 10. If one falls down, there's someone there to help pick them back up. What's the Bible say? If a brother be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted and so fulfill the love of Christ. We need each other. We are better together. We are stronger together. If I fall down, sometimes I need people to pick me back up. If you fall down, you may need someone to pick you back up. It's not easy trying to do life alone. Just ask a single mom. My heart goes out to single mothers probably more than any particular group because of what they have to go through, what they have to face. It's not easy doing life alone. It's, it's better together. If one falls down, there's someone there to help pick it back up. Verse number 11, here's what the Bible says. They can keep each other warm. Tell you a little funny story. I'm preaching in northern Canada. My mind must be on Canada this morning. I'm preaching in northern Canada. I went to a community that had heard the name of Jesus eight years before I had gotten there. There's 120 people in this community. It's way up north in along the Manitoba, uh, Saskatchewan line, up close to the tree line. And they took me and they put me in there, and it was really cold. It was like it was in the winter time because that's the only way we could get back there was to drive the ice roads. If you've seen ice road truckers, I've been on roads like that in my 1984 Mercury Lynx back then. Thank you very much. <laughs> so I was driving along there, and I got up in there, and it got cold. It was like 40 below zero. Now, when you get up there in some of those isolated communities, it may not be this way now, but 30 years ago it was this way. They still had outside toilets, and they didn't have running water in the house, so you had to take sponge baths, and that's how they lived. And so it'd get 30, 40 below zero and be the middle of the night and it'd hit you and you'd have to get up and go, you know, do your business and you'd have to walk the little path out to the little outhouse to do your thing. Well, the next morning, I'm sitting there and I'm talking to, to the pastor, middle-aged pastor, I'm a young man, I'm talking to the middle-aged pastor and I'm saying to him, my goodness, it's really, really cold. I mean, it's, how do you guys live in this? He said, well, we keep each other warm. And I said, okay. He said, did you get really cold last night? I mean, like really, really cold? I said, yes. He said, dangerously cold? I said, well, where I came from, probably dangerously cold. He said, well, do you want my wife to get in the bed with you tonight and, and, and get close to you and give you some of her body heat? I said, no, thank you. <laughs> but to them, that was nothing. They do that all the time. They get together for body heat all of the time. She told me, she, she, she looked at him and she chuckled and she sh shook her head, Indian lady, you know. She shook her head and she said, you need to put more blankets underneath you and then some over top of you because she said it comes up underneath the mattress and that's how it gets cold. That's why you were so cold. And so we did that and the next, the next night I was toasty warm. But this scripture says that. It says they can keep each other warm. <laughs> Verse number 12. Here's what the Bible says. Better together, stronger together. Here's what the Bible says, that we are stronger against attacks. That's what it says. You know something? When the enemy comes against me, 
and tries to destroy and defeat, defeat me. If I've got Jennifer that has my back and, and, and I've got, you know, Robin that has my back and I've got Dr. John that has my back and I've got, you know, I can just go on. If I've got you to have my back, it just makes me stronger. It just makes me stronger. When, when, people, have, when people have your back, it makes you stronger. That's why two are better than one. And let me tell you something. You're not going to make it through life without getting attacked. You're not going to make it through life without experiencing some kind of an attack from the enemy. There's going to come a time when the enemy's going to try to take you out. He might try to take you out emotionally. He might try to take you out physically. He may try to take you out with your reputation. He may try to take you out just any way that he can. He might try to take you out financially. The enemy will try to take you out. And when we have people that can stand with us to hold up our arms and strengthen us and encourage us, then we can not only weather the storm, we can conquer the enemy. We can conquer the enemy. So here's the thing. When the enemy comes against you, there's something I want you to remember, okay? The Bible said that Satan and a third of the angels was cast out of heaven. Right? Isn't that what the Bible says? Okay. So for every enemy that comes against you, there's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, two angels, and an entire church body to stand against that one enemy that comes against you. Now what devil is going to beat those odds? That's why the Bible said, if God be for me, who can be against me? Because if God be for me, then all of heaven's backing me up. And if God be for me, then all of the church is backing me up. So two are better than one because when the enemy comes against us, we can stand strong against attacks. Don't ever feel like... Now listen to me. Let me be a pastor here, okay? Don't ever feel like you have to fight that battle that you're fighting all alone. One of the number one weapons in the enemy's arsenal is isolation. He'll cut you off. He'll put you over in a corner. He'll start feeding stuff to you in your mind that's not true. You know what they said about you? You know what they think about you? All that kind of, You know why? Because the enemy wants to cut you off from, from the pack. If he can cut you off from the pack, then he can defeat you and he can destroy you and, and he can conquer you. But I'm telling you, the Bible said that two are better than one. Don't let the enemy cut you away from the pack. Don't let that happen. All right, now, God has a plan for his church and it involves each and every one of us. I don't really have a whole lot of time to get into this today, but in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, the Bible speaks of the structure of the church. It talks about how that we are all fitly joined together, that we feed off of one another, that the joints and the marrows of the bone, that we feed off of one another. This is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we need each other. Then in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32, which is the next group of scriptures, the Bible speaks about things that can destroy the body and instructs us on what to do about it. Let's just touch it for just a few moments. I don't want to you know, dwell here because I want to get to the bows and arrows area, uh, but, I, but I want to share this with you. Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. This I say therefore in testifying the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind. 
So what he's saying here, after he's talked about the body of Christ and how it's all fitly joined together and we're, we're there to edify one another and to strengthen one another and to encourage one another and to speak truth to one another, then in verse number 17 he said, don't walk as Gentiles, and that's people that are separated from God. He says, in the vanity of their minds. So in other words, it's saying pride will separate you from the body. Okay? having their understanding uh, darkened, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. So he's saying, don't let your understanding be darkened. Don't allow yourself to be alienated from the life of God, to be separated from the life of God because you're unwilling to learn. When it talks about the ignorance of their heart, that talks about not being open to learning because of the blindness of their heart. Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves over unto lasciviousness to work all lasciviousness with, greedy, with greediness. In verse 20 it says, but ye have not so learned Christ. And so what it's saying here in verse number 20, it's saying to the body of Christ, there are things out there that will try to create schism. There are things out there that will try to create division. There are things out there that will try to separate you from the pack, but don't give in to them don't give in to them. The Bible said, for you have not so learned Christ. So listen, body of Christ, you, have, you haven't learned to be prideful from the Lord. You haven't learned to have your understanding darkened from the Lord. You haven't learned those th things from the Lord. You haven't learned to be unteachable from the Lord. You're not learning those things from the Lord. Those aren't, that, that, you're not learning them from the Lord. It says, you've not so learned Christ. Verse 21, if so be that ye have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus. And then verse number 22, it talks about how to conquer and overcome the enemy that tries to create schism in the body. That ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that ye put on the new man which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. So verse 22, he says, put off. Verse number 24, he says, put on. And verse number 23, he says, this is how you do it. You are renewed in the spirit of your mind. So you put off former conversations and you put on things that are created in righteousness and in true holiness. And then he goes on, verse number 25, and he begins to wax eloquent about the things that you need to put off. Here's what it said. Put away lying. And here's the, here's the answer to that. Speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are, look at this, members one of another. If I lie to you, I'm not just hurting you and myself, but I'm hurting everyone that is connected to us. Well, I don't think lying is that. Revelation 21 and verse number 8, the Bible said, All liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's listed right there with whoremongers and adulterers. That's what God thinks about lying. Thank God it's not tax time. <laughs> so he goes on, and then the Bible said, Be angry and sin not. Let not the sun go down upon your rest. So it's okay to have righteous indignation. The Bible did not say, do not be angry. It said, be angry and sin not. And then the Bible said, verse 27, don't give any place to the devil. Let him that stole steal no more, but let him labor working with his hands the thing which is good that he may have to him that needeth. So when it says don't steal, then the antidote that to that is work. Earn it. Earn it. 
Verse number 29, here's what the Bible said. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, and here's the antidote to it, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may, may, may minister grace unto the hearers. So instead of allowing corrupt communication, then the answer to that, instead of allowing that to come out of your mouth, then you need to speak things that edify. And when it's talking about corrupt communication here, it's talking about defamation and slander and tearing other people down. How do you know that? Because the antidote is edification, which is the building of other people up. So this is talking about things that can tear the body down, and it's also giving us the answer to what we should do. And then here's what the Bible says, Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby you're sealed unto the day of, of redemption. Verse 31, Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And here's the answer, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So God has a plan for His church. Every single one of us in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16, we find out that we have a specific place in the body and that the body feeds off of one another. In verses 17 through 32, he gives us warnings about things that can create problems in the body of Christ and he gives us the answer on how to overcome those things. Look at your neighbor and say, better together, stronger together. Tell them. Better together, and stronger together. Now in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible talks about a lot of things. Don't worry, I'm not going to shoot anybody. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the Bible explains that we are, that we are many members and that we need each other. God doesn't have a person to waste. Now, I, I, I chose to do this uh, because I, I want you to understand it. And I want to talk to us for just a few moments here toward the end of this message about how it's important for us to work together generationally. So many times it seems like, and listen, I've been in the ministry, I'm, I'm going to be 50 years old this, this year, the end of this year, the end of this year. I'm going to be 50 years old. I'm 49 right now. I'm going to be 50 years old at the end of this year. And I've been in the ministry ever since I was 8 years old. So I've been around for a while. Been in the ministry for a while. And, and as long as I can remember, the older generation has griped and complained about the younger generation and their music. And the younger generation has griped and complained about the older generation because they just don't understand and they don't want to accept us. So I have a little illustration here to help us cross that bridge. Are you ready? All right. It's called bows, arrows, and strings. The bow, this is the bow. Somebody say, that's the bow, Pastor. That's the bow. And this, is, this came from my son, Jeremiah, so, you know, here it is. I don't even know if it's a good bow, but it's a bow. Okay. The bow represents the older generation. 60 plus. I said that. <laughs> 60 plus. That's the older generation. And all of you that said five, all of you that were, what, 59 or so, say, <clears throat> praise God. But 60 plus, this is the older generation. They represent wisdom and theology. All right? The arrows represent the younger generation. They represent 
strength, and technology. Strength and technology. The bow needs the arrow in order to get the message into their generation and the arrow needs the bow in order to get the message into their generation, in order to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. So if somehow we can marry theology with technology, hello, then we can reap the harvest of this generation. So what's the string? That's the in-betweeners. See, the younger generation, I'm going to say are 20 to 40. The older generation are 60 plus. The in-betweeners are from 40 to 60. We have some technological experience. We were around when they came around and for me personally in 10th grade and said, this is a Tandy computer and we're going to offer you this class because computers are going to take over the world. And I said, I don't think so. And so we had the floppy disk. How many remember booting it up with the floppy disk? There are like eight different disks. And they said, this is called DOS software. I'm like, duh, duh, duh what, duh? You know, and so they're telling me all of these things. Well, guess what? Computers have taken over the world, pretty much, okay? The generation, listen, the generation, the 60-plus generation, some of them, listen to me, I want you young people to hear me. I want you to try to figure out where they're coming from, okay? They were celebrating the advent of television. What are you laughing at? You're a tweener. What are you laughing at? I mean, Nita, I love Nita. She talks to me about their big screen TV when she was growing up. She said, we got ourselves one of them little six-inch televisions and we got a little piece of glass that was ten inches and we put it on there and it would project onto that and she said, that was our big screen TV. And that's where they're coming from. Some of you 20-year-olds, you need to realize that's where they're coming from. So to expect them to be able to do technologically what you could do when you were five years old is totally and completely unrealistic of you. And we're always afraid of what we don't understand. And so we got the older folks that are saying, well, I just don't like this technological generation. And Randall, God bless Randall's heart. I love Randall so much. But he stood here the other day and I told Donna afterwards, he said, he said, television is the future. And I told Donna, I said, in his world, television was the future. The future today is social media. That's where the people are. That's where the people are. So we have a job the 40 to 60-year-olds, we have the job to try to bind together the theology with the technology, the wisdom with the strength. We're the bridge generation. And we're doing all of it so those that are 20 and under can continue to live in the blessing of the Lord and experience the grace of God and their generation someday can have revival. Do you see why we need each other? We need each other. So how, how can we better help one another? We can study the signs of our times. Some of the older folks need to start studying what some of the younger folks... Listen, they grew, when, when they were born, technology is something that they just had. 
A three-year-old probably knows more about technology than some of the older folks in our congregation today. They might know more than I do. I mean, I'm the type of person, if I have a problem, I'm like, Nikki, Susie, and Jeremiah, he don't care. (laughs) This is Jeremiah right here. So, so, I'm not going to shoot this. I'm not going to shoot it, I promise. But in order for us to send forth the youth, then the youth are going to have to respect the older folks. Those that are in between are going to have to help them cross that bridge and then together we can reap the harvest around the world. Do you see that God doesn't have a person to waste? We need each other. We are better together. When we understand our place, then instead of competing with one another, we can start completing one another. And instead of feeling bad because they don't understand me, we can try to understand them and sow that seed of understanding so that I can reap the seed of understanding and then I can start celebrating them for who they are and for what they have done. And for the Bible said, if the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Listen to me, young people, those of you that are 20 years old to 40 years old, you don't see it now. You're living, on the, you're living on the foundation of those that have gone before, but at the same time, you are laying the foundation of your future generations. And you reap what you sow. Now, some of you old folks, you like to gripe and complain and moan and groan. Well, these young people, I can't believe. Well, how, how quick do we forget when we were 16? Amen. You can't tell me that you were Mr. or Mrs. Perfect when you were 16, 17, 18 years old. You can't expect a 16-year-old to know what you know when you're 70. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Here's what the Bible said. Be kind to one another. I read it to you. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. So when we understand our place... We can celebrate each other. And we need to understand that we all need each other. Jesus said in Mark chapter 16 and verse number 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. It takes the arrows. Matthew chapter 24 and verse number 14 says this, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end So my challenge to us today is this. Let's recommit to work with one another. Amen. Let's recommit to work with one another. Let's be open to what God is trying to do today. I don't think that the majority of the young people, especially here at Lakewood, disrespect our old folks on purpose. But at the same time, our old folks need to start respecting them and where they're coming from. We've got to be mothers and fathers and spiritual grandmas and spiritual grandpas. When your grandchild, I can say this now, when your grandchild was born, I don't know how you all feel about Sophia, but in my world, she's perfect. 
She's perfect. I mean, even when she fills her diaper, that's like, like a perfect nasty smell. <laughs> Nikki was watching her the other day, and she said, ooh, 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 I said, what she said is, it's all up her back. I said, good girl, Sophia. <laughs> well, what if we had that same attitude about our spiritual kids? What if we allowed them to make a mess? What if we would love them through their challenges? What if we loved them through those things? See, we need to recommit to one another. We need to be open to what God is doing today. And we need to repent to one another and to God if we have allowed a division in the body. God needs the bows, the arrows, and the strings. Let's stand. Thank you for joining us on Working the Word. For more information, go to our website at wwwsuncoast 4 and that's the number 4jesus.tv. You may also write us at 12637 Pony Lane, Hudson, Florida, 34669. Or you may call us at 727-856-1770. Our office hours are Monday through Wednesday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., Thursdays, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. And remember, the Word will work if you work the Word.